Hello and welcome to Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love the real housewives. I'm your host, Connor Bean, and I'm so excited to be back after my little break. Now, I was working on the show, my break, but obviously I haven't got to do one of these little openers, chats, hellos in a while. So hello. We have lots of great chats on the way with this week's incredible guest, the wonderful Sophie White, but it's back. And, you know, this is not a a recap show where I'm going to every week go through every episode. But when shows do a premiere or come back or debut a trailer, I like to check in, see where I'm feeling, see where you're feeling as listeners. And I will, of course, in the notes for this episode, put in the time code in this. If you want to skip all the Real Housewives in New York season 13 premiere chat and get straight to the interview, that's no problem. Because I feel like everyone's watching Housewives on a different timeline, particularly in Ireland. So, like, I totally get it if you want to skip this. But for my fellow Rony lovers, let's get into it. The season 13 recap. I have some amazing comments that you gave me on Instagram and Twitter that I'm going to get to in just a second. But first, my thoughts, my feelings, <laughs> my first impressions. And um, Okay, so we're back for season 13, obviously. We'll see how this season shakes down in terms of filming around COVID because I know that there were still restrictions in place and they couldn't go to certain places when they filmed, but they do seem to have more group stuff and more interaction with, you know, the whole cast than some of our other fave Housewives shows that have come back and had like weird formations of people who are always outside, etc. So we're back with our new cast. Well, our mate, like a cast that's fairly similar with one new person. It's a smaller cast of five people, which has come up actually in a lot of the comments that you all left me on Instagram and Twitter. So we're in an interesting spot as we start off this new season. And my overall feeling about this episode is that it's easygoing, but an entertaining return of our phase. Because the thing about New York is that, yes, there's great drama and mad things have happened on that show. But also there is a rhythm and a fun and an ease between this cast that they're one of the few Real Housewives casts I'd kind of watch do anything. It's really Atlanta and New York. They're so naturally funny and like great together that I'm kind of like, yeah, just let them hang out. I'll watch that, you know, whereas other shows I'm like, I need a bit more me to my storyline and what's going on. There is not a huge amount storyline wise so far. I'm going to go through each lady and what they brought or, or showed us in this first episode that might hint at where we're going for the rest of the season. Leah got a fair bit of screen time up top at the start of the episode from talking about her new nose, which is very Housewives, to come back for a second season. And I've had a nose job. It's like saying, I'm back, baby. (laughs) I loved that, though. She talked about converting to Judaism, which is interesting in terms of it's like personal development. and Oh, Leah's going through this. Although as a storyline, it's a little bit her journey, her solo thing. And I'm not sure how it's going to connect to the rest of the women. So I don't know if it's a... It's going to work as her main story arc this season, but if it leads her down a path of self-discovery, if that's what we're going with it, then I think it could be interesting. So the jury's out on that one. Uh, Sonia had an interesting episode, I think, because her standing with the other woman is very interesting because they're really pulling her up on this thing of, oh, we haven't seen you since da-da-da-da-da. And I was listening to one of my favourite podcasts, Come Through Queen, who uh, you'll know the host Brendan and Dan if you listen to the show because they've both been on an episode of Housewives and Me, but you should check out their podcast as well. And Dan made the point that this is something that Sonia does a lot, or Sonia, sorry, I always say Sonia, like I feel like I'm saying it wrong, Sonia. She does kind of disappear when she's not filming because she goes so hard when she's on the show that she basically wants to take a back seat and not be acting like a crazy person and drinking all the time when she's not doing the show. 
But it was interesting because that kind of, we haven't seen you, you haven't been in touch thing, that came up when they were all on Watch What Happens Live together as well. So I'm curious, that seems to go a bit deeper than just, oh, we haven't seen you in a few months, Sonia. It's always fun seeing her in the townhouse faffing around, making a mess of things, trying to use the iPad in the bath, which no joke stressed me out. Watching someone use an iPad or any kind of tech where it could just fall into the water. I was like, Sonia, put that, put that on the fucking counter. It was driving me crazy. Though it was fun watching her uh, kind of faff around with her back garden and get the townhouse ready because there is a Grey Gardens energy to that place, as Sonia herself said this episode. I didn't love... The fish moment with Ebony, I know some people thought that was funny and charming. For me, it was a bit cringe. I don't think it came from a place of malice because it's Sonia and I don't think she has that a bad bone in her body, really. But it was pretty uncomfortable to watch. Luan, you know, first of all, shallow note, but let's just say it. Luan looked incredible. In fact, they all looked incredible. They all had that, like, we're back, new season, new judge. I loved it. Um, Luan is being what I'm calling sober sober because now she seems to... I get the impression she wants to be sober for real and for herself this time. The way she talked about not wanting to drink in that scene with Ramona, which sort of introduced the concept to us as viewers, I thought was very interesting because before it felt a bit like it's court-mandated sobriety and I'm struggling with doing that, but I'll do it to get through this parole period. Whereas now she seems to be like, yeah, I just don't want to drink anymore. And that kind of making the realisation yourself thing, I think for people in general, is a bit more... It has the potential to kind of last a bit longer, I suppose. Um, the fact that she's living near Tom and she swears up and down she didn't know. I mean, she kind of was like, I didn't see the apartment much because it was COVID. And she said this on Watch What Happens Live that because it was moving in a pandemic, she I think she maybe viewed it once or didn't properly get to go in. But my logic is surely you would kind of know the address. Like if Tom's penthouse is like so close by, she would kind of know that little part of the city because she's probably there quite a bit anyway. The new apartment's stunning. I was like, come on. I kind of am into these new interiors. Her friendship with Ramona is interesting because Luan does seem a little bit more down to earth this season already. Now, she has a boyfriend coming down the pipeline storyline-wise and you know what Lou is like when she falls in love. So maybe we'll lose that. But uh, I was surprised how solid uh, Luan came off this episode. Now, it could all go to shit next week and she could be awful. That's the joy of Housewives. But so far... So good. Ramona is so, like, Ramona-esque already. Like, I don't even feel like she has that much going on. And I do feel like as entertaining slash cringe as Ramona can be, I don't always think she has the most engaging storyline. So we'll see where that goes. I think her friendship slash alliance with Lou is, like, her biggest story arc so far, which is interesting slash a bit like, what else we got going on? Because we know the Mario thing is not really a goer. Like, we know she's not going to get back with him. So it's like, what's the story arc here, sis? And last, but by no means least, the amazing Ebony K. Williams, who is joining the show this season as a new cast member, which, let's face it, on any Housewife City, I think is a big ask. But I really think on New York is a particularly big ask. And I think she's, you know, doing the damn thing already. She's making history as the first black woman to be a full-time cast member on New York, which is kind of, is really crazy in 13 seasons in a city as diverse and as vibrant as New York City that it's taken them this long. I know Andy Cohn has said recently that uh, they have tried to cast different women from different groups before and it hasn't always worked out because I'm sure the timing logistics are a pain. 
But it feels like it is more than time for this to happen. And what I loved about Ebony in this episode was she wasn't afraid to take her moment to kind of throw in some messaging and make a point. There's an amazing interview she did with Vanity Fair recently where she talks about kind of being intentional with how she uses her time on screen because Ebony has a career as a broadcaster behind her. So obviously in her first scene, she's meeting up with Leah in Central Park and is wearing... Um, like a sweater, jumper, whatever, with the names of the Central Park Five on them. She has a Black Lives Matter face mask. Later on in the episode, I really liked how they were talking about, let's go to Sag Harbor. And Ebony said, oh yeah, like Sag Harbor has actually this kind of significance to the black community in America. Like I thought that was really interesting. And it's those little moments because, you know, we've seen Tiffany Moon on Dallas really have to like bear the brunt of a lot of like, white women around her feel guilty about racism, etc. And it's like nice to see someone come in and go, yeah, like this is part of who I am, but I also have all these other layers as well. And I liked, it was really interesting seeing her talk to her friend about buying a new place and then the kind of stuff about just getting out of a relationship and what that was like for her. I just think there's actually quite a bit to Ebony and I think her vibe and her energy fits really well with the cast. And it's a reminder that like when people talk about diversity and they get their back up or they get a bit defensive, that's like, it's only going to make these shows better. Like Tiffany Moon on Dallas made the show better because she was connected to a previous cast member, Deandra. She has the opulent lifestyle. She has an interesting family dynamic and she's willing to mix and match and go there with the cast members. And yes, we get to talk about her specific experience. And I feel similar about Ebony that, she fits right in and it's a reminder that we can mix up these shows and it's only going to make the shows better. So those are my thoughts on the Roni season 13 premiere. I really have gone down the rabbit hole because now we just call it Roni. don't think I ever called it Roni before this year. That's what happens when you podcast about Housewives, I guess. want to go through some of your comments on social media as well. Didn't get to all of them because I don't want to just read out every single one. We'd be here all day. But a few that stood out to me. Um, on Instagram, Caroline Calls said, Loving Ebony so far. I feel five is too few Housewives. I missed Dorinda already. I feel like it's going to be a good season in my bones. Can I just say, I did not miss Dorinda at all. No shade. I thought Dorinda was great when she was great on the show. But I feel like we know now know why Dorinda needed that break. And I'm like, you know what? When she's ready, I feel like, truly feel like she could come back in a season or two and it could be spectacular. Ali O'Riordan also said on Instagram, I miss Dorinda so much, but I didn't realise how much I needed Sonia in my life. And I feel the same. When she was just bippity-boppity-booping around that townhouse, I was like, I'm so glad you're back, Sonia. <laughs> um, Danny said on Instagram, it was so nice to have them all back. I feel like the interaction between them all is so organic. It never feels contrived or manipulated. Coughs, Beverly Hills coughs. <laughs> Danny, you spilled. Uh, love Ebony. She's a breath of fresh air. Defo Miss Dorinda, although I know having that space is best for her. That is it, Danny, isn't it? It's just the vibe they have together is so... It's just fresh and fun and you really you really ju- would just watch those women chat, you know. And you can't say that about every cast on Housewives, I don't think. Over on Twitter, Rebecca said, I'm excited for this new Lou and Ramona dynamic. Sparks will still fly. Ebony is a great addition, but we need more Housewives. I know Heather will be there as friend of, but NYC has always benefited from having large casts. This came up a lot, actually, in the comments, and I think it's a good point. I like this fivesome that they have, and we will have Heather returning for a little bit, I think. And also there's another lady called Bershawn who filmed a bit with them as well, who at one point was believed to be a full-time cast member. So I think we'll have that to add to the dynamic. But yeah, 
other cities like Beverly Hills is coming back with like seven women I think Atlanta had a lot of well Atlanta had a small cast but a ton of friends off so we'll see I'm curious how that will shake out Jonathan uh, was on to me on Twitter onto the Housewives and Me account and Jonathan was actually in the audience for the Watch What Happens Live episode that featured all the cast that is on Hey You at the moment I think the Watch What Happens Live episodes stay up for like a week or so so if you're listening to this on a Tuesday have a look on your hey you can see because it should be there for a couple more days and the after show is about eight minutes long and that's on YouTube and that is well worth a watch but Jonathan said was in the virtual audience for Watch What Happens Live episode we filmed it a few weeks ago so I've had plenty of time to think about Lou's new location and the more I think about it I stand by she deaf on you I'm here for this new Lumona friendship and finally Ebony K. Williams he had the I've copied and pasted and it just says raising hands <laughs> Just the emoji he used. Yes. And he also said in a follow-up tweet that uh, Lou was running late, which if you've seen the episode, The Watch What Happens Live, Lou was like constantly talking to someone and Andy's like, you know we're doing the show. Can you like maybe focus a bit? Anyway, this is why I love Housewives in New York because you get all these ancillary moments as the season airs. So I, I don't know. I have a good feeling about this season. I think the show has felt different the last couple of seasons without Bethany, with Leah coming in. I think... God forgive me, I do think COVID is going to probably impact this season a bit. But like, I'm just happy to be back with the gals. I'm just so happy to be back with the gals. Anyway, those are my thoughts on Housewives in New York, the season premiere. And that's just a selection of the comments you gave me on social media. Thank you so much for that. I've talked a lot, way more than I usually like to talk, honestly, because I really do want to make the show with a guest. So I think without any further ado, let's have this week's amazing guest. Here is Sophie White on Housewives and Me. My guest today is a writer, a journalist, a podcaster. She is a column with the Sunday Independent, where she recently wrote about Real Housewives. She's the author of novels like Filter This and Unfiltered, and a brand new non-fiction book called Corpsing, My Body, and Other Horror Shows, which is a recent top 10 bestseller here in Ireland. And of course, she is a co-host on popular podcasts like Mother of Pod and the massively popular Creep Dive. And she's finally in the Real Housewives fold. The satisfaction I get when I see this happen to people, it's unparalleled. Sophie White, welcome to Housewives and Me. Oh, thank you so much. Obviously, I've been a fan of the pod from the beginning. And I've basically just been kind of hovering around your DMs. Just tra- <laughs> talking, trying to just drop in Housewives here and there. And then obviously I took it to an international, well, no, national stage few weeks ago when I wrote in my column all about how Housewives is well I was pitching it to my editor and she was like we've had enough takes on people like taking up the housewives and like (laughs) oh housewives we never knew you and all this kind of stuff and I was like "Mm, fine I guess she's right and then so my pitch was that it was the perfect high drama but low stakes that we all need in pandemic like it's engaging it's very like it's a very big energy show, but no, nothing serious is happening ever. And it's so that's a safe place for pandemic. I'm curious how you got into things. I have how you got into Housewives. I have an idea, but I'd love to hear your your entryway and then what other kind of shows from it you've watched as you've gone along. Um. Okay, so I've never been much of a reality TV fan except for there I have a niche interest, which is any reality TV show that uh, centers around casting Broadway shows 
So there's like this really like mostly forgotten uh, reality show that was like in the 2000s and it was I think it was an MTV reality show and um, it was all about casting the Broadway musical of Legally Blonde. So they, yes, it was I remember the that. search for Elle. Yes. And so like I watched that last year for the first time and I was so obsessed with it and addicted to it. And then so exciting during pandemic, the cast it only ran for one series obviously because they cast L at the end of it. And yeah. so the cast did like a Zoom reunion and it was so exciting like to just see them all like back together, like genuinely years on, like more than a decade. So anyway, that was like one of my first forays into reality TV and it was only just last year. And like, it's not in any way, oh, I'm better than reality TV. In most ways, I'm worse because my... I suppose my version of reality TV, like, which is, you know, everyone's kind of like relaxation, mindless watch is just horrific uh, stories of cannibalism, murder, uh, dismemberment. So this is a step up for me getting into Housewives. (laughs) I am now like I've elevated, whereas most people, I think, pretend to believe that they've come down to it. But like, we're not better than Housewives. Of course, we're not. We're not worthy of it. So how did I get into it? Basically, I um, am in a WhatsApp group with two like very intense fans, my two close friends. And I think it's just that I was watching them watch it so much that, you know, it kind of I just it was peer pressure, basically. It works. I took it as that. Say no to drugs, but say yes to housewives. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. And they're as good as drugs, like, too, you know. Like, I'm sober. I can't do drugs or drink my way through pandemics. So, you know, I've got the housewives. Obviously, it's a little triggering for someone like me because all of the, just the sound of the rosé glugging into their glasses is just delicious. But, you know, I obviously then, you know, go to AA and that's fine. (laughs) That reminds me (laughs) that I can never enjoy a tipple with the abandon and uh, uh, class of a housewife. (laughs) Many of them notwithstanding, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you were like abandoned that is such a polite way of putting it so I'm guessing you probably start I know that when you wrote your column for the Indo about Housewives you mentioned uh, Beverly Hills and I know a lot of people have come on board with Salt Lake City because it's the first season that's just aired and it's kind of an entryway so Mm. is that way is that how you started no I started with New York on the recommendation of um, Emer and Louise the WhatsApp group it appealed to me a lot because I'll consume anything set in New York uh, like every basic out there you know (laughs) I love New York TM um and I enjoyed very much the in like the lunacy very particularly of I'm terrible with the names but it's Alex isn't it Alex yes uh, Alex McCord yeah yes Alex McCord and that creepy ass husband (laughs) and their creepy ass kids and their relationship and I was really obsessed with them now controversially I've only watched the first season of New York and then I drifted away to Salt Lake City and then I drifted kind of back in time again to Beverly Hills and I've been ensconced in Beverly Hills ever since even though everyone in my DMs is like Potomac 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 yes yes and 
bloody New Jersey. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> yeah. working on it, you know, but it's such a project. It's interesting. You've taken like kind of a roundabout way of doing it, but also that's, I think, how people over here discover the shows anyway, particularly mm. before that kind of Netflix rush that happened last summer. Like a friend would say to me, oh, I watched this series like a year ago and I've gone back to this. So I think in a way you're kind of, you're doing what a lot of us have done when we've discovered it. Yeah, ricocheting around like, but it was fun going from New York City, which is such a kind of time capsule, to then the Salt Lake City ladies and, you know, a kind of an almost real-time Housewives experience. And I really yes. enjoyed that um, massively. Because obviously with like Beverly Hills, for example, they're always referencing their Twitter and their blogs. <laughs> the blogs are hilarious to me. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's kind of like it's media that's kind of a bit out of reach now for me. I'm sure I could find it, but... No, you're right. It's kind of disappeared. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Whereas the Salt Lake City Gals, like, I was getting, like, real-time fun updates. Obviously, very recent fun update with um, Jen. It was good as well because it was, um, I suppose, the trajectory from New York to Salt Lake City in terms of production value, in terms of glamour, in terms of, like, the kind of just very, like, very high camp and the kind of, like, pantomime of it all. So enjoyable. You know, like, and just the wealth as well. Because in New York, there's just, there's a shade too much kind of reality. But not as it goes along, I'm sure. Yeah, the first season of New York is like, I think 2007 or 8. And they shot it, it was a show that had been shot under the working title of Manhattan Moms. And then Real Houses of Orange County had done very well. And they had had a I think Atlanta had come out as well so they had said let's retool this to be like or maybe Atlanta came just after New York but it was very early days in them figuring out what Real Housewives was as a franchise and when you watch that I always say to people actually when they watch that first season of New York there's great characters here it just looks and feels so different to what Housewives becomes and it's so funny that you went to the most recent entry where they knew they were filming a Housewives show and it's from the off it has all the things that have now become standard glam squads confessionals where they all look like they're in drag like crazy <laughs> plot twists like you have just seen I think you have seen kind of literally the opposite ends of the housewife spectrum and then Beverly Hills you've is almost like a mix of the two and you're probably deep I'm on, on the journey yeah, yeah. So yeah it's funny it's such a funny way it's actually really interesting you've seen like I think the highs and the lows in, in a weird way yeah yeah completely and I've, I've, I think I got way more invested in the kind of players of Beverly Hills. I was very invested in Salt Lake City, I, I will say, um, as well. Uh, like a lot of people, I think, again, like potentially a lot of the basics, I was really into um, uh, Heather, like, and her whole storyline. And, uh, you know, I, obviously she was kind of like asserting herself in a new life and she's been kind of excommunicated from um, the Mormon uh, faith and everything because of her divorce and um, I was I really was rooting for her but now I think there's definitely been like some kind of like implications like dark that she has she's a kind of a darker soul than we realized in the show I think Heather's gonna have that sort of your second season of Housewife the where you, everyone loves you and then there's a little bit of a like you get kind of knocked down a peg but then we say that but we're now looking at a second season that's going to largely be about the arrest and accusations about one cast member so you know what I know. I'm gonna get in I'm gonna get into this because actually you mentioned there you're into like more grisly kind of true crime stuff so I'm sure you have watched like I actually true crime is one of those areas where I'm a little bit behind on so I would love to know your take on 
what we know about the Genshaw arrest and the sort of scandal around it as someone who is into true crime and has seen a million documentaries and is kind of more of an expert in that world than me. Yes, of course. I'm delighted to. Well, obviously, I was disappointed that no one was dead. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) it's happened in other houseboat cities, sadly. So who knows? (laughs) Oh, my God. I know. Oh, my God. Beverly Hills. I couldn't. I couldn't believe the turn that took. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, let's move into lighter territory. Um, yes. I do specialize in the one liner that can be taken out of context in every podcast <laughs> I'm on. I'm constantly like, is this going to do the rounds of Twitter that I announced? I was disappointed no one had died. But what I'm like on the creep dive, for example, which is like a true crime podcast. But we also focus just so much on like general creeps. And yeah. we love a catfisher, for example. We love like, uh, and we've also done kind of deep dives on like times when like we as the kind of consumers of culture have been creeps ourselves. So for example, like yeah. one of my favorites is the episode on Anna Nicole Smith. Of that course, was one of yeah. my deep dives in a, kind of an early episode. And obviously we were kind of cast as the creeps in that, like the media kind of in general. And then obviously us for just like being riveted to her kind of, you know, um, kind of tragedy, comedy, tragedy again, ended very tragically that one. Um, so what I really enjoyed once I kind of clicked into the um, the Jennifer, but so I enjoyed when I clicked in that it was actually kind of like a vaguely like, like low grade sort of offense even though they so basically what the offense was that they've been um arrested on federal charges um alleging do we have to still say alleging i think i'm wendy williamsing everything i'm like allegedly allegedly because we're in ireland allegedly apparently as wendy would say (laughs) allegedly they've cheated hundreds of people all over the US um, out of money in a telemarketing scheme over like the last decade. And I just enjoy that it's so unglamorous. Like it's grubby. It's, it's grubby, grubby, isn't it? It's a bit seedy. It's just so it's so beneath Jen Shaw. I can't believe it. You know? Um but like it's definitely I suppose you know just very enjoyable you know like I'm always fascinated when people are being shady on like a full-time basis in their private lives but they're like yeah sign me up for that reality tv show you know it's just always so strange and like just this lack of self-awareness that like no no like you need to like protect your dodgy interests you don't need a film crew following you around and then obviously the like just glorious dramatic irony of kind of seeing all of their front and then knowing all of the behind the scenes in in the aftermath you know it's yeah so so enjoyable so and i definitely it's a very gensha like none of the others could have ever been caught up in this even though meredith marx is a sociopath I think Meredith oh, Marks expand on that. <laughs> is much more of a like, um, I suppose, like a likely candidate for maybe like a few bear- bodies kind of buried under this sort of <laughs> like decorative fountain or something, you know, <laughs> like she's just so beyond like I'm just imagining her being like, 
I may, there may be a body on the porch. <laughs> like, just, I don't want to talk about, I'm not engaging with this, I'm like, her being arrested. Her. I'm not engaging with this conversation. Her in court, but she'd just say over and over, I'm not engaging. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. And just, like, oh, yeah. And even if they got a confession out of her, you know, the transcript would be, like, mo- it would just say, like, material illegible or, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something. Somebody would just tire of trying to understand what she's saying. But, like, I think one of the first things, like, I thought for fun, right, I've just searched housewives in my WhatsApp um, to just, like, maybe this is, like, charting my kind of descent into housewives. Um, so, like, <laughs> one of my first messages is to uh, Louise and Emer, and it's like, I'm heroically resisting the urge to live tweet watching my first season of Housewives. And they're very, very welcoming to me, which is, like, very big of them because I know a housewife's blow-in is deeply irritating um, to people who have put in the hours and the time and the years, you know? Um, And I know there's like, you know, a healthy resentment of the blow-ins and I support it. But then one of my next um, messages to them is, um, I can no longer keep this in, Brooks's one tracksuit collection. So on the subject of Meredith Marks and her sociopathic family, I just adored that whole <laughs> scene, basically, of the the tracksuit. I just loved this. One of my favorite Meredith moments was, you know, there was this whole season-long arc of what's the story about her relationship with her husband. And they're having this very, like, serious conversation in their bedroom because he's about to go off on a work trip and she's in full glam but in a robe and she's like okay well blah 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 and they're kind of saying like okay let's like (laughs) let's just leave it here and he says something like I mean I'm paraphrasing he says something like you know I think it's for the best if we take some time apart and she just mumbles and they had to put subtitles on it which I just think is so funny (laughs) she goes I don't disagree says it I was like this is like such a like piece of dialogue it's such a moment it's like they have cap- maybe slightly staged this huge like marital like break moment and yeah. she's like and it comes out of nowhere because like previously we haven't understood a word they've said and then also it's like she herself is so unbelievably non-committal in every aspect of the show from interactions with the other housewives to her talking heads that is the most like definitive utterance we get from Meredith Marks is I don't disagree (laughs) like she will not commit to any position whatsoever except that Brooks's collection is just so amazing you know (laughs) I'm so proud of Brooks yeah I just I find I mean I've definitely seen Housewives fans complain about her lack of engaging and how <laughs> nonchalant she is but for me I love the light and shape particularly when you watch all the cities and there are plenty of larger than life characters I'm like I kind of love that there's this chick on this new city who's just like <laughs> like barely <laughs> barely audible barely you could argue even speaking actual like fully formed words and like refuses to do the most basic of housewives fights i find yeah. it so oddly endearing like at the reunion when it she is was a like, rebellion of sorts like so it is kind of admirable. kind of it's kind of punk rock to be like yeah. i will not if they don't want to be nice about my husband andrew i won't talk about it it's like you're on a fucking reality show like that's your literal job yeah. but i kind of i find it weirdly endearing but i know it really wrecks people's heads but that's kind of the fun of housewives isn't it that like my like kind of I'm obsessed this is so camp is someone else's get them off the screen 
mean, I can't bear to look at them. Yeah, it's so true. Like they all the characters are so divisive among fans that like it just it's so fruitful territory for 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 example a housewives dedicated whatsapp group which ours has like is <laughs> slowly morphing into it's it's a kind of a toss-up between insane pandemic purchases and housewives um you know uh, unpacking uh to use a phrase from 2018 um so <laughs> everyone unpack was unpacking that. everything all yes, the time every podcast we're gonna unpack that we're gonna unpack this it's in my mind it, it was always said in the voice of ira glass speaking of in the voice of i really think that you should like have meredith marsh um co like guest host an episode of housewives and me and it just be you but like just do the whole episode as her because you're Oh my God, your impression is such a delight. It's a joy. Oh, thank you. I could, yeah. int- we'll do a, a part two where you come back on. I'm like, my gosh, today is an author of the book, <laughs> Corpsing. Sophie White, welcome to Housewives and me. And then you have to try and keep a straight face for like an hour. <laughs> it literally sounds like somebody, like she sounds like somebody who's had their voice distorted to give a sensitive like interview that and their like their identity is being protected you know <laughs> yeah like it's terrifying or else like a kidnapper like a kidnapper's like ransom call yeah just spoken <laughs> through whatever they use that little mic but um yeah no she was like on you're so right like I'm way more like I'm always more like salivating to watch you know my hate loves you know absolutely like Alex and Simon really were the only thing that kept me with New York I like a bit of Ramona but maybe them and then obviously when like I had one of the I'd say happiest hours of my life and I'm 36 um and I have three children but like one of the happiest most fulfilling hours of my life was when Alex's nude shots came out on the show and I just dove into that Google search image results I was just so so delighted with that exact thing (laughs) and I obviously reported back to the gals saying where I was and, and what I was doing and I mean, they were just so baffled. Like one of them, Emer was like, Alex used to make me physically wretch. <laughs> I used to find her very hard to watch early yeah. seasons because her and Simon were just so sweaty and they both come out since we were edited that way. And I do think Alex McCord, as if you go back to New York, you'll see kind of her third and fourth season. She's kind of on the show. She definitely becomes more likable. But that first season, I mean, I look at it now and I'm like, they did her so dirty like they did her yeah so dirty oh like completely it was so vicious but like obviously of course you know we're supported massively (laughs) um yes oh it's such a good like even my mother and I have bonded over it a little bit because like it's helped me know her better like oh I told her about my new passion and she Mom, was like, I have something to tell you. Mom, it was like a coming out of sorts. And she was like, oh, yes, I've done a little bit of that myself. Because obviously, <gasps> like, Housewives isn't really something that you watch. It's actually kind of a verb. Like, it is something you do, you know? Yeah. Like, housewiving is very much like an understood verb in my house, like, between my other half and I. Like, he's like, for example, there's some kind of golf event on this week. And, um, you know, like he very much came to me and was like, um, 
you know, I'm watching golf, so I guess you can like do some housewives maybe while I'm doing that. And like, you know, obviously like every really healthy kind of late capitalist relationship, we then sit on the couch plugged into our separate devices and just feel <laughs> like have this beautiful moment of togetherness. And um, yeah, so yes, it's a do- doing thing. So it's funny that my mother described it as, yes, I've done a little bit of them too. And then obviously there's the things that you do while you do Housewives. So like I really enjoyed in like quite an early episode of Housewives and me, Laura DeBarra talking about Housewives kind of seeing her through like this whole period of her life in her 20s, which I loved hearing about. And then like Housewives, like being that kind of background noise slash background watch um, while she's working or like, cleaning or making stuff or like doing her art I loved all that and it definitely has become that for me massively too like it's the background of me parenting a lot of the time so like obviously I invested in Hey You really fast like really soon I just knew that this was going to be like a permanent uh, life decision and I didn't want to be one of those Netflix bitches (laughs) I wanted to get into your Beverly Hills viewing and what you think of that show because that's mm. kind of the granddaddy of, of Housewives a lot of people even though it's not the first one it's it seems to be a lot of people's entryway and you're mm. I think you told me before we started you're about five or six seasons in so like how did it feel when you started that one and where are you with it now? I loved it from the off because I adored I just had such a strong like uh, revulsion in the first series with Taylor, Camille, um, Adrienne. Like she was, Adrienne was kind of like, in a way, Meredith Marks is the kind of Adrienne 2.0 in that like she was very friggin' withholding, you know? And it was so irritating. And um, even though I kind of weirdly fancied her husband, why? He's oddly hot. I know what you mean. Isn't he? Yeah, it's the confidence. Yeah. And like every time, like they'd be getting in the pool and like there's Maurizio like over there. But instead, I'm just (laughs) staring at bloody... Like, what was his name again? Paul. Yeah, I just, it's just made no sense. But anyway, yes. So I just like violently hated them. And like, I found Taylor, and this is really cruel, but I did find her like visually, like quite repellent. Um, And, (laughs) and like, it just, but it was compelling, like repellency. There was repellency a word. You know, I couldn't look away. And, she and it's so cruel now like with hindsight knowing like what was what was driving that car crash you know it's so dark to understand the fuller picture um but I have to just I have to just own up to like while I was watching it you know hating on her so heavily and you know obviously then you know feeling like quite dark hearted then when I understood that like she was obviously she's a survivor of domestic abuse and like acute tragedy. You're having a reaction the show set up for you and then starts to undermine I guess as part of the process and even like I remember when kind of jump with the Netflix scene but like when people 
were tweeting that they were watching season one Beverly Hills and they'd say things like, well, I can't get over this uh, Taylor and Russell thing. Jesus, that's a bit of a mad marriage. Woo. And I was like, uh, well, don't Google it. Because like not even being like flippant, I'm like, oh my God, you have no idea. Because when that was airing, before season two aired, the story about him dying by suicide came out. So people knew and it was, there was talk of them not airing the show at all. There was a bumper put in the first episode, a scene where the, all the women come together months after the fact basically when the season had finished yeah. and react to the news on camera and then it kind of goes oh nine God, yeah. months earlier and we get the whole season so in a funny way as much as you feel bad that's what the show like I don't know in a weird way you're kind of having a microcosm of what people went through over years when they were watching mm. Taylor yeah oh totally and it's very much like toying with you the viewer and kind of challenging like what are you doing here <laughs> slightly do you know that kind of way like yeah. you know in a kind of a fun sort of meta way those kind of like reversals and kind of like pulling the rug out from under you is kind of like forcing self-reflection and which I think also comes up quite a lot quite well with Kim um in Beverly Hills the later like well I suppose it's running through that first series and the second series but like with her obviously like her substance abuse comes out like extremely erupt- abruptly um She's outed. I mean, she is outed on the show. Yeah, of course, by her sister. Like, and um, yeah, it's very. I think it's really similar one where you know you were or I was certainly like lapping up, you know, that you know car crash, and then obviously really accepting that you know that she has a problem a substance abuse problem and like and then obviously that forced self-reflection and I feel like it's very much coming from Andy Cohen directly who's like now now who's the bad part now who's the stupid bitch Sophie <laughs> you know <laughs> it's Andy <laughs> sending you a message <laughs> yeah now who's literally. trash now who's the awful one Sophie huh huh, huh? It's like a, a mirror held my Andy Cohen coming out of your laptop yes, screen yes there you go like what do you really really feel now about yourself um I definitely remember vividly texting my like whatsapp uh the support group um about Taylor like so much like there's one <laughs> message from me um in January oh my god Taylor is the dopiest melt of all time um I hope Lisa is giving gossip to the mags like so <laughs> harsh and then like Taylor is this is really hateful now and and misogynistic uh Taylor is so fucking annoying I want to scream in her stupid fucking fish mouth face like it is so so bad and then the very next message that um I I come in with is Russell oh my god Taylor we never knew you like and it's just like this powerful (laughs) fall up for me like of me which is so I suppose it's kind of funny charting it in my like, like WhatsApp in my head, material, you know. In my head, like Louise and Emo are in that group chat and they get that first quite, quite strong message about Tyler and they go, yeah, three, two, one. Oh my God, Russell. And then the next message comes in. Like, yes. They were like, give her a second. Like she's here and then she'll, she'll have her rude awakening in a few episodes. <laughs> yes, yeah. So there's just so much fun for anyone kind of witnessing the uh, the newbies inductions. Yeah, with, with, with every episode, any episode they're in. 
Um, or sorry, season I meant. And the thing is as well, like we, I can't really talk about um, Housewives without my like, I, I just feel again, like this is such a basic one, but I just love Lisa Vanderpump with all of my heart. Okay, tell me why. I just, she's just so immaculate. She's so like a brilliant combination of maternal snake. And I think that it's like her, my relationship, okay, obviously it's a parasocial one, with Lisa Vanderpump is that she is my mother. Like in both that she can giveth and taketh away in the space of a single sentence, practically. You know that kind of like, maybe it's a specific mother-daughter relationship, or maybe it's a specific Sophie-Mary relationship. Mary is my mother. That like, you know, it's that kind of like, they can swing so abruptly from, you know, like being so protective of you and loving to then like so vicious and like, you know, landing just like a really harsh, like either backhanded compliment or just outright insult. And I feel like that's kind of what I get from Lisa Vanderpump and I really enjoy it. Does any of that make any sense? I know what you mean. You're kind of in this love hate thing with her in a way Definitely. where, like, you love the camp, like, aesthetic. You love the way she is kind of this glamorous British woman in LA. So she has a drier sense of humor than the rest yes, of them. But also, yes. she can be, I mean, both in terms of what she does on screen and what she's sort of rumored to do off screen. There mm. is clearly. Like there's machinations like from Lisa all the time. So yeah, she definitely kind of lures you in and then hits you with the... Well, yeah, exactly. Like she's maternal, obviously then quite vicious. She's kind of the Medea of housewives. Um, but like a bit less illegal, but like, is she much less illegal, I wonder? Um, <laughs> and um, she also really delivers on the show. Like she just has like you know enough self-awareness for her machinations and then like enough kind of you know just a kamikaze nature that she doesn't care like she'll she'll totally like oust her practically adoptive son like obviously that whole storyline with oh god i can't remember his name like oh my god what's his name he's in season, season one yeah like it's just so enjoyable and it's so engineered surely like, i'm sorry the, the the gay best friend in the house sorry yeah, i think of her yeah. son of oh, her, no, no. Her, yeah yes oh my god yes cedric oh my god cedric, that was wild. that's it like that was wild. i feel like you know that could potentially have been a long game on the part of lisa vanderpump she could have like started started setting the scene for that many years before being approached by housewives she could have literally seen is New York, yeah, she could have like seen New York and been like, okay, I need a really good first season setup. And here's what's going to be. I'm going to befriend this like down on his look, beautiful man, develop a rapport and just like, and by the end of season one, just have like completely turned on him. And whether or not it is like that he wronged her or she wronged him, she knows it doesn't matter, you know? And like, so, you know, in that way, I believe she's the ultimate you know? Yeah, and it's funny because, I mean, I think, did you tell me you're on season six of Beverly Hills? Yes. So obviously, yeah, I'm journeying through like a kind of a lot of exposure of her. 
Right, because Lisa sort of, I think, as it goes on, by the time you get to season nine, mm. Lisa kind of ends up in a very different position in the group. And I remember as she was basically gearing up to leave Beverly Hills, I think Cedric came back in the media and said, I told you all along, look what she's doing here, here and here. So like, who knows? But that's Amazing. why she's He's so... on her endless. payroll. Like, she has to be. <laughs> like, she decided, I'm going down here. I'm going to go down in flames. You know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel like whether she's on the up or on the down, she's always in control. Like, I also really enjoyed, like, the kind of morphing of, you know, her maternal bond with Brandy into very much kind of a mommy dearest kind of phase. Very that. And it was very good. And, like, again, that's why I think Lisa just has this incredible pedigree like she will draw on old Hollywood you know for her character she'll you know draw on her like you know kind of pseudo kind of Brit poshness you know yet in the same breath like have this just horrific devotion to pink you know like she is no aristocracy yes yeah she's Joan Collins she's Joan Collins basically yeah which is what makes I mean and all the housewife shows are so people. Beverly Hills in particular does have more than a hint of dynasty, dynasty, dynasty and mm. Dallas to it. And Lisa fully is taking from the Joan Collins playbook, even just the specificness of her aesthetic. And the way, now obviously her aesthetic is not the same as, say, Alexis on Dynasty back in the day. But mm. it's this, the way they had a, a palette for Joan Collins as a character. LVP has a palette for LVP, the reality star. Like, you know, there's an understanding. And then there's that like kind of, you know, as you mentioned, being a, a Brit, a posh Brit in L.A., has it makes you stand out and on that show Alexis was this British character on an American soap so it is mm. that kind of I just imagine there's like a mood board of, of Alexis Carrington and Colby <laughs> in, and Lisa's home and she's like I think I've got it <laughs> <laughs> I love it yeah exactly like she just is such like you know a joyful villain in the vein of Cruella de Vil as well like with yes. the little dog I love the little dog how have I forgotten the little dog's name? He has his own show, for God's sake. There's Jiggy and there's Jiggy, another Jiggy, one. Jiggy. Jiggy died recently, which is uh, quite was quite tragic. There was like a, a bit of a, a mourning period for the Housewives community when that happened. Again, I wouldn't be that surprised if Lisa Vanderpump is like, it's time for Jiggy to go. I need to <laughs> no. win back a bit of sympathy. Like, you know, she's ice cold. Um, oh my God. And then we can't, we can't like let this go without talking about Yolanda. And David Foster, which, like, I I just, it was one of the, like, coldest, just, like, it was actually, like, it wasn't even, like, a relationship. It was, like, a specimen of a marriage, you know? It was, like, it was so clinical. It was so transactional. It was just amazing to me. Like, I just really enjoyed watching them and... And, and cringing when he wouldn't let anyone possibly wouldn't let anyone sing along at their party when they were having like a piano recital after the dinner section it really reminded me of you know the way Christy Moore sometimes won't let people in the audience sing along <laughs> yeah 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 so oh my god insanely I never, never joined Christy and David Foster together but you found a way yeah I found the link like quite um yeah significant sociopathy there I think but having said that, one of my most emotional housewives moments was watching him getting his 
was it a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame? Yeah. And that whole ceremony, Connor, I'm not exaggerating. Like I welled up. Oh God. I oh was my God. so really? moved. Now it might have been during January of this year, I my whole bubble was in self isolation for twenty six days. Oh my God. And Jesus. so it was in the midst of that. It may well have been informed by like that very specific <laughs> situation that like okay. I was <laughs> so moved by it. You know, it was It was pandemic tears. Yes. Um we're we're talking about Beverly Hills and I, I wanna ask you about this person because she seems to be such a marmite figure. Where are you on Kyle Richards? <sighs> well, what really, really gets to me about Kyle Richards is that her tagline utterly, utterly misses the point of Housewives, in my opinion. <laughs> like every season, it's so flaccid. And every season, it's just like she always has to like place family front row and center in that tagline. <laughs> like, I may not be the richest gal in Beverly Hills, but I am the luckiest. And there's like just <laughs> smug shots of her like and Mauricio like palling around on the basketball court and like, you know, oh, all those. Yeah, it's just I just oh, I really hate that about her. Like she's always trying to sort of stay above the fray. And that bothers me a lot because obviously I've just exposed why I love Lisa Vanderpump so passionately. (laughs) So obviously I just really disapprove of anyone who goes on there and like wants to come off well. I just think, (laughs) no, you're missing the point. God damn you. Also, obviously I just like abhor abhor her fashion sense and just (laughs) think it's just outrageous that she like claims to be like a kind of a boutique owner that's the other thing like I hate when they have fake kind of jobs you know that kind of really bothers me like you know like she drifts into that shop claims to be kind of the buyer and creative director um but mainly just picks out like some horrible disgusting like literally um like the beach cover-ups that you would have brought on your sixth year holiday to Cyprus <laughs> is exactly what she traipses around wearing from that shop. They're always those maxi, oh, no, it just, ugh. like she, I, okay, so I think you gather that I'm not a fan of Kyle. I just love how I said, so what do you think of Kyle Richards? And the first thing he did was go, <sighs> it wasn't even, hmm, good question. It was, well, I mean, <laughs> where some people yeah. go, I love Kyle. They go, oh, I love Kyle. You were like, let's start with an exhalation of disgust. <laughs> Not even like to verbalize it is to almost give her too much. But then obviously I gave you quite a lot. But yeah, no, it's it's good one. Yeah. I do love Kim. Like, I, I you know, it's so funny that like, you know, they are loin fruit of the same womb. But mm. I do really enjoy Kim. Like, I love her, you know, her both earnestness, you know, on her journeys. And then also, you know, she's quite like, what's the word? Like, she's quite slapstick and and just kind of like, you know, adorable in her kind of quirks and bonkersness. Do you know that kind of way? So I kind of enjoy that about her there's almost there's an, a kind of innocence to Kim that makes you protective yeah. of her even when she kind of lashes out a bit or she's struggling oh my god by the way I didn't even mention like yeah we are still on Beverly Hills so it's okay um the I know I'm throwing stuff out all over the place but the moment I came to the scene 
that is the meme of the hysterical woman crying and the really yes. just, um, you know, uh, I would say, what is that cat? Judgmental cat. Obviously, it's Taylor. I, it was so exciting. I can't tell you. Like, they were all on the balcony at Brandy's, as far as I remember, or was it a friend of Brandy's? It was all escalating. And there was, I was starting to feel a kind of deja vu, you know, about the setup, about Taylor's outfit, the face, you know, the scenario. And when that moment hit, like I would say, you know, it was a kind of a housewife's equivalent of climaxing. Like in terms <laughs> of just all of those things lining up and falling into place and finally understanding the origins of something that has been in my, you know, has been in the collective consciousness for so many years. It was extremely exciting, I think you're gathering. Like, yeah. It's funny when there's like sort of out of context reality TV moments that like end up as part of internet culture or language. Yes, because the lexicon they, of the internet. They become so removed from their original context that when you see them, either if you knew the original context or as you say, you stumble on it, it's surreal. Like, and then sometimes like the Taylor thing, realizing the context it's a bit like the Rose McGowan memes where sometimes Rose McGowan has said stuff that is kind of unintentionally hilarious but sometimes she's talking about like the man who sexually assaulted her and people have taken the quote we got you and made it into a meme and I'm like is that maybe perhaps like not appropriate but it is weird when you see context and you go damn like it all started somewhere oh yeah completely and it just I suppose it's just like finally being let in on a joke um, after you've, yeah, just, yeah, yeah. you've circled the joke, never really understood how to use it correctly. You know, like it's just kind of uh, maybe, you know, that's me because I feel like I'm always a bit out of step with things like I never understand. Like popular music reference is very particular because like, I don't know, I'm one of these people like, for example, in, in like about... 2019 like coming to my friends and being like there's this amazing singer called Adele like you all have to listen to her <laughs> so I'm just like never really I'm not hyper current but also yeah. I so love the tweet I'm sure you remember that Taylor Armstrong um herself made saying BTW woman yelling at cat is me yeah and um it's just uh like all the replies and everything to it are so enjoyable just like you know just people like ha 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 screaming you know it, it legend like it was really like i really liked it because she took the amazing meme and kind of brought it to a new iteration by tweeting it and and acknowledging, acknowledging it, it. Yeah. and and I suppose making us think, what must that feel like to be yes. this incredible meme? You know what I mean? And also, yeah. like, then if you want to bring it to, like, you know, a very, I suppose, like, like real world, you know, emotionally intelligent place, what does it feel like to actually have been, like, experiencing domestic abuse, seeing, like, right when this still was occurring and then seeing it like be brought into like you know the kind of like you know parlance of our times and how crazy is that you know it's just it's just amazing because only with housewives I guess yeah it's it's the way stuff gets decontextualized and then recontextualized and then it's it's very weird and it's funny because I did want we mentioned kind of the start your piece for the independent recently about the shows and how basically as you say they're kind of high drama without the 
high stakes. I mean, in some ways, there are some high stakes because at times serious stuff comes in. But totally, yeah. When you, when you wrote that piece, I mean, what were you trying to convey in terms of the journey you've had with the shows? I suppose I wanted to kind of, like, in a way, like, like properly and like very seriously reframe attitudes to it um as kind of like not the guilty pleasure not the um thing we stoop to um but like very genuinely a show that has such a fluent grasp on the art of storytelling um you know the art of provoking like an emotional and intellectual reaction in a very smart audience because like there is no one I know who watches Housewives that isn't really smart you know that kind of way oh, and thank I, you you're welcome. thank you there you go thank you and also like I really liked um a point that Elizabeth Day made on this very podcast um quoting uh, your podcast back to you classy um, <laughs> I love where, it I love it <laughs> yeah where she talked about like how it's one of the few kind of arenas where we are looking almost exclusively at women over 40 and um, they women over 40 who aren't in any way explored through the context of their relationships relationships are always secondary in um, housewives more or less you know and um, it's like it's placing female friendship and all of the kind of um like i suppose complexities of that um you know like your friends like are also you know probably sometimes your greatest enemies either through their actions or unintentional or intentional or through you know what they bring out in you in terms of complicated feelings maybe in terms of like envy and you know uh like that it's you know what i'm saying i think just that like i really yeah. enjoy that it is um, you know, us getting to know these women who are still in their prime, but like have usually been completely excluded from our culture. And so I suppose as well, like I really think that it's really ironic in so many ways that like, um, you know, women as characters have been so flattened by art that men have authored. Um, mm -hmm. So, f for example, like in my piece, I compared the housewives to Pinter, Polanski and Peckinpah, um, all male um, authors. And, uh, you know, basically said that these guys have nothing um, on the housewives that the most intense and arguably violent psychologically violent work in the history of the moving picture is housewives and <laughs> i suppose um it always intrigues me that like these men choose to flatten women and you know make them secondary when like i feel like women have such an insane position in our world like in terms of what we go through as very much par for the course in life you know yeah. like we are you know the people who give birth and like it's so funny that we've made like we've tried to like normalize birth when it is the wildest most batshit thing that like anyone could <laughs> conceive of a fucking person grows in you and then comes out of you it's insane and you know like even things like the menopause you know you could liken it to a, a kind of like a possession you know a supernatural possession that needs to be exercised out of you with hrt um and therapy you know and um i suppose like with the housewives we're given such a kind of 
the the breadth of a, a kind of a a woman experience and obviously I mean all women by that um even though actually have we had a trans woman in the housewives no there was at one point a few years ago in Atlanta there was talk of a Mia King Scott or Mia Scott King I mm. always get that mixed up she's an actress and a performer and she's been on uh, shows like Lee Daniels show star and stuff and she's an actress and I think like a performer as well mm. and I think she they were circling her to appear in Atlanta and she kind of turned it down because she felt oh they had me wanted me to come in but it was a bit sensationalized so there hasn't has there been there hasn't been like a trans woman on the cast there was a rumor like and I think it was one of those kind of pie in the sky things that Caitlyn Jenner was like eyeing up a spot on Beverly Hills which would make my day because I she has problematic politics for sure but mm. on reality TV I she has this like kind of goofy aunt at a wedding energy that I just can you imagine I've been like Kyle is fighting with Lisa and I don't I don't get it like I would pay I would personally pay my own savings partly as they are to have Caitlin on Housewives so no there hasn't been a trans woman like circle for sure I mean I would love that because I'm like there's definitely like women with like the kind of glamorous lifestyle or the wealth or the kind of you know, entrepreneurship for background or whatever that they kind of go for with these women on the shows. Mm. So I'm sure it's only a matter of time. We'll see how that pans out. Yes, definitely. Like we want to see that. Um, I think as well, like in the, um, you know, in the piece I wrote, like I, you know, talked about, I suppose the, the set pieces that they have in Housewives, um, you know, and I kind of like, in a way, like referencing things like Festin by Lars von Trier, um, which, you know, is a film where the setup is like a whole bunch of people stuck in a country manor, um, you know, to celebrate a milestone birthday of an abusive patriarch. And I just feel like, you know, that's just not worlds away from like, you know, a five-year-old's birthday party that cost $40,000, you know, that kind of way. And, um, you know, I just feel like, you know, there is a kind of comedy of menace in Housewives and, you know, and even like there's an almost kind of, you know, uncanny dread, uh, you know, kind of tied to the sort of subtle transformations that the housewives undergo um, yeah. over the course of seasons, like obviously via surgery or tweakments or whatever. But it's it does yeah. kind of like it's got this kind of body horror element to it, you know, or like maybe I'm really pushing my angle. No, 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 I actually, it's funny because I wanted to ask you about that because it comes up in Corpse and you talk, there's a a, a section of the book where you talk about The Swan, which was a reality TV series in the early Mm. 2000s where it was a competition reality series where women competed to kind of get the most surgeries and have the biggest transformation and they, they would have stuff happen and they'd watch, you know, they'd, they'd go through all these surgeries not knowing what they looked like and then they'd be revealed in front of a bone mirror and it still cracks me up that Amanda Byram, Arden's own, presented it, by the way. What oh a, my What gosh. a proud moment for our nation. Oh, completely. And she only, I mean, not to like, you know, uh, dwell, but like she only just released a book about kind of like a holistic approach to the menopause and things like that. So it's I mean obviously everyone reserves the right to change and evolve in life but it is kind of an enjoyable art it is wild yeah yeah. so like you were writing about the swan in the book and then Mm. I read your piece in the indo at the shows and I was kind of thinking god in a way as much as housewives is not doesn't have I mean it has there can be a cruelty to it as you say but it's not quite as vicious as the swan felt no yeah like there's something sadistic about the swan yeah but there's something about how housewives 
does slowly make you like, not there's nothing wrong with getting work done, but it is a thing to do that requires time, money. It is altering your appearance. It is a change. And it's funny how yeah. the more housewives you watch, you're like, they'll do a flashback and you're, you just go, oh yeah, that's them three faces ago. Like, have you noticed yeah, that? Because yeah, you're binging totally, it too. Yeah. Like you're binging it and watching new seasons. Have you noticed your like feel towards like, getting work done change as you watch the shows? No, like as in, it doesn't tempt me because of the shows at all. Like it doesn't tempt me full stop. Um, even though like sometimes I look at my friends who've got Botox and things and I am like, mm. but it, I just don't think it's actually thing a thing that really I am that interested in. And I actually, I did feel like kind of almost my like aversion increase when Maurizio's mother went for the facelift. Um, oh, and yeah. I thought like their treat- treatment of that was really interesting. Um, like in the context of say, you know, one of the husbands, Paul, being a plastic surgeon, like I thought they showed us so much of the kind of almost still, despite advances in like the procedures, still feels a bit like a kind of a hammer and nail job, you know? Yeah. Like it's, oh my God, yeah. It's, a, it's kind of, when you think about it, like hella basic, like we just, we just, it's like face off. Have you seen face off? That's what the surgery is <laughs> oh like. God. You can watch face off to prepare psychologically for what's oh. going to happen. Yeah, but I think one of my biggest kind of things around surgery that I I dislike, uh, apart from like the risk factors, is um, I feel like psychologically I'd be really afraid of like the like reacting to my new face. Oh, like yeah. no, I'm not. I'm not afraid of becoming kind of addicted to it, but I'm afraid of kind of it's crossing a threshold you can't return you know it's closing a door behind you and that door disappearing and you being left you know with this kind of new specter in the mirror and like how is that going to impact and I have very delicate kind of you know uh, mental equilibrium you know um (laughs) so you know I've had breakdowns in the past and um, I have bipolar too, so like I suppose I'm like, you know what? I better not fuck with that. Um, you know, that kind of way. I was a big fan of your novels, Filter This and Unfiltered. I loved how they were oh, like entertaining and kind of had that escapist feel, but also for anyone who hasn't read them, they basically are a look at the influencer world, particularly in Ireland, and a character who becomes kind of Instagram famous and becomes into the orbit of already insta-famous stars. And I'm curious, having written and I'm guessing because I read those books and they felt very well researched in that regard. You understood the Irish influencer world and that Instagram lane. And now we're watching Housewives, mm. which is about a kind of fame and then they become Instagram famous, etc. Mm. Do you see any yeah. parallels with like influencers and housewives? Are influencers like the proto or are housewives like the proto influencers in the sense that they were there beforehand and they've kind of perfected a kind of branding of the self in a way? Uh, yeah, I see loads of crossover. Um I do in say like um, filter this and unfiltered. There is a lot of like life engineering that um, my two main characters, yes. the two influencers, do. And like one's obviously to quite an extreme. Uh, one of the characters fakes a pregnancy for the gram, and um, that's no spoiler. I think it happens in like the first two chapters. Yes. Um, and it's all about like how she can manage this huge lie and her growing profile. And I suppose like. You know, that is always what we're watching from series one to series 88 of of whichever season we're watching, you know, um, of Housewives. Like you're seeing this, you know, person evolve in front of the cameras, maybe becoming more savvy about their scene that they're in, like as in the reality sphere. 
Um, and obviously then the kind of their next, there's like, you know, next iterations of their fame, as you say, like it went from kind of the provincial kind of blogging to obviously now their Instagrams. And I think the thing as well that, um, really like, uh, kind of makes me think they're so similar is that, you know, when I was researching filter this and unfiltered, I really noticed that like my biggest grow was watching other like quote unquote civilians rather than watching the celebs on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And, and I suppose that I think speaks to the thing with each series of housewives or, you know, uh, each season is that like, at least at the beginning, you're being introduced to total nobody's more or less. Like obviously there is sometimes, you know, like a kind of a former soap star or the wife of uh, Kelsey Grammer, Camille or, you know, um, but like, I think that's, it's something like, uh, not that they are near our reality because they aren't, but like we are, if you think about it, just watching them th- go through a lot of the kind of emotions that we potentially can experience in our own lives, like grief, you know, children growing up, you know, uh, work, work conflicts, friendship conflicts, do you know that kind of way? And I feel like that's a kind of a similarity that those two things share, you know? But I love a reality TV as a kind of um, as a kind of a thing to explore in my own work. So like the novel I'm working on right now, there is a reality TV show within the novel and very much inspired actually by um, the Legally Blonde uh, casting L Brooks show. Um, So it's kind of joining like some of my loves, amateur <laughs> musical theater and reality shows and things like that. So it's definitely, I think in my fiction work, I always really enjoy being in a kind of uh, arena that is like at least in part public. And um, because I think it leads to this really fun tension between what people want to reveal of themselves, how they represent, how we perform ourselves, like, and it is now such an intrinsic part of life that there's very few people that aren't in some way performing themselves, you know, whether you are big into social media or not. I think if you examine your life now in 2021, it's near impossible to not be kind of engaging with that. Yeah. And it's so funny because it really harks back to like my original area of study was fine art. And I, I was obsessed with people like Cindy Sherman, who, you know, was performing herself. Um, you know, I think women in art are nearly always like basically I think like women in art of old are so closely linked to women who are branding themselves now because they are both the subject and the author of their their brand or their performance you know that kind of way and like uh, John Berger um, a famous kind of art theorist and critic you know always he says and it's a very famous kind of theory that like when a woman moves through life she is always aware of the perception of her moving through life um, because women have always been the objects and subjects of, of art from the beginning of time so you know when a woman moves across a room Berger says when a woman moves across a room or grieves a parent at a funeral she has a hyper awareness of being watched doing these things and I just think that's so interesting and feeds so kind of perfectly into like exactly what you're talking about in terms of self-branding there you go John Berger would love the real housewives as well ways of seeing comma colon the housewives it's coming soon exactly exactly (laughs) 
Um, you're going to ask me about my tagline, aren't you? <laughs> it is time. It is time to ask you about your tagline. I have a feeling maybe you've done some homework. <laughs> I have done some preparation. Okay. Um, actually, this was my first draft. And oh. you know what? You don't mess with perfection, I believe. Okay. Um, you know, I workshopped it a bit, but then I just returned to the first draft because sometimes you nail it first go. Fair. So as I mentioned, like I, um, you know, have a mental illness and... Um, I so my uh, my tagline is you may think I'm a mad bitch and my psychiatrist would agree with you <laughs> oh that's good <laughs> thank you that's thank very you. good wow <laughs> sorry that's I, that's a new take <laughs> on the tagline so far and you've you're you're making all kinds of firsts on this podcast today yay <laughs> <laughs> oh that's excellent okay well if you you were probably you were ready for the tagline question, so you're probably ready for this one. I ask it every time I speak to a guest. The one and only dinner party question. You're throwing a dinner party tomorrow. You can have five people from the Real Housewives, either housewives themselves, friends of, a side character, a husband. They're coming over for dinner. Who are you inviting and why? And I know that you've written about food and even in, you've written a book about food in the past and encorpsing, you're referencing food and how you love to cook and all that kind of thing. So I'm just curious who'd be over to yours for dinner because I feel like you'd really commit to the experience. So I feel like I would invite um, everyone who, I would invite all the couples who've split during the course of the show. Um, <laughs> oh my God. So I'd invite um, Paul and, um, oh my God, Maloof, Adrienne. Adrian, yeah. I'd invite Paul and Adrienne. I'd invite... Um, Yolanda and David <laughs> and um, I think I would invite like Alex McCord is not split from her husband I'm right in thinking no they live in Australia now they're still together see I think I'd invite them as like an irritating example to the others of just like queasy making marital bliss <laughs> so that's what I'd go with Okay, so we'd have, we'd have two iconic, but now no longer with us, housewives couples. One still together mm. and now living off in the Australian sunset. That's fascinating to me. That's actually a reality show in and of itself. Well, you know, I'm all about, you know, the three-act uh, drama. That's how I plot my novels. Rising tension, you know, inciting incidents. And, you know, you can't have a story without a lot of, um, you know acrimony and opposition you definitely get that with those people at your dinner table okay that's iconic oh my god what a great twist people always just twist this question in the most fun ways that is excellent okay i'm very aware we've chatted for a long time but before we wrap up where can people find your work your podcast and all that good stuff you can basically find everything to do with me on instagram at soph white whoop so that's stupid. It's S-O-P-H-I-E. No, it's not. It's S-O-P-H-W-H-I-T-E-W-H-O-O-P. Or more straightforward, you can find me on my website, which is sophiewhite.info. And the podcast, I mean, you've got your, your part of two very popular podcasts in Ireland. So where can people check those out or when can they expect episodes? Oh, that is The Creep Dive, new episode every Tuesday. And Mother of Pod, which is actually behind a paywall. So you can subscribe to Mother of Pod on www.broadcast.ie. Listen, we have gone from 
John Berger, <laughs> couples therapy over dinner. We've covered a lot of ground. So it truly warrants the word journey. <laughs> it just it's it was a journey to quote the X Factor. Um Sophie White, thank you very much for coming on Housewives and Me. Thank you so much for having me. This was a blast. That was Sophie White on Housewives and Me. You can, of course, check out the podcast as Sophie is a part of both Creep Dive and Mother of Pod. Her new book is called Corpsing. It is a series of non-fiction essays. It is incredible. I'm actually reading it at the moment. I'm hoping to try and finish it soon because I'm having one of those... Uh book moments where it's hard for me to read at the moment because my brain is just fried but I will say Sophie's book is worth checking out because it's non-fiction and essay based the stories you can kind of dip in and out of the book a little bit because it's non-fiction and sort of story based you can dip in and out of it a little bit which if you're struggling to read at the moment and I'm saying this because I am it is a title worth checking out and Sophie has amazing novels as well um, filter, Unfiltered and Filter This are both well worth checking out and of course you can find her on Instagram and Twitter as well all those links for all that good stuff will be in the show notes for this episode as well if you enjoyed what you heard today if you were digging the Roni recap if you liked the interview please consider giving us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts it really helps us zoom up the charts worldwide let's go international with the show let's do it and which of course I really appreciate you can find the show on social media at Housewives and Me is the handle on both Twitter and Instagram you can follow me it's Connor Bean on Instagram and Twitter as well we will have lots more amazing chats next week I am so excited to be back so until next time thank you for listening enjoy all your housewives and I'll talk to you soon Bye.